Sixty of Ix, Volume Three, Chapter Seven: The Wings of Antrivet. Bard and Meg had plenty of time to occupy them in looking over and admiring their new possessions. First, they went to the princess's rooms, where Fluff ordered her seven maids to spread out all the beautiful gowns she had received, and forty of them made quite an imposing show. I assure you, they were all dainty and sweet, and of rich material, suitable for all occasions, and of all colors and shades. Of course, there were none with trains. For Margaret, although a princess, was only a little girl, but the gowns were gay with bright ribbons and jewelled buttons and clasps, and each one had its hat and hosiery and slippers to match. After admiring the dresses for a time, they looked at Bud's new clothes: twenty suits of velvets, brocades, and finely woven cloths. Some had diamonds and precious gems sewn on them for ornaments, while others were plain. But the poorest suit there was finer than the boy had ever dreamed of possessing. There were also many articles of apparel to go with these suits, such as shoes with diamond buckles, silk stockings, necklaces, and fine linen. And there was a beautiful little sword. With a gold scabbard and a jewelled hilt, that the little king could wear on state occasions. However, when the children had examined the gowns and the suits to their satisfaction, they began looking for other amusement. Do you know, Fluff? said the boy. There isn't a single toy or plaything in this whole palace. I suppose the old king didn't care for playthings, replied Fluff. Just then there was a knock at the door. And Aunt Rivette came hobbling into the room. Her wrinkled old face was full of eagerness, and in her hands she clasped the purse of gold coins the Lord High Purse Bearer had given to her. See what I have got! She cried, holding out the purse. And I am going to buy the finest clothes in all the kingdom, and ride in the king's carriage, and have a man to wait upon me, and make. Mammy Skib and Mistress Capulsum and all the neighbors wild with jealousy. I don't care," said Bud. "Why, you owe me everything!" cried Aunt Rivette. "If I had not brought you to Knoll on the donkey's back, you would not have been the forty-seventh person to enter the gate." That is true," said Meg. But Bud was angry. "I know it's true," he said. "But look here, you mustn't bother us. Just." Keep out of the way, please, and let us alone. And then I won't care how many new dresses you buy. I'm going to spend every piece of this gold," she exclaimed, clasping the purse with her wrinkled hands. "But I don't like to go through the streets in this poor dress. Won't you lend me your cloak, Meg, until I get back?" "Of course I will," returned the girl, and going to the closet, she brought out the magic cloak the fairy had given her. And threw it over Aunt Rivette's shoulders, for she was sorry for the old woman, and this was the prettiest cloak that she owned. So old Rivette, feeling very proud and anxious to spend her money, left the palace and walked as fast as her tottering legs could carry her down the street, in the direction of the shops. I'll buy a yellow silk," 
she mumbled to herself, half aloud. And a white velvet, and a purple brocade, and a sky blue bonnet with crimson plumes. And won't the neighbor stare then? Oh dear, if I could only walk faster, and the shops are so far, I wish I could fly. Now, she was wearing the magic cloak when she expressed this wish, and no sooner had she spoken than two great feathery wings appeared, fashioned to her shoulders. The old woman stopped short, turned her head, and saw the wings. Then she gave a scream and a jump, and began waving her arms frantically. The wings flopped at the same time, raising her slowly from the ground, and she began to soar gracefully above the heads of the astonished people who thronged the streets below. Stop! Hate! Murder! shrieked Rivette, kicking her feet in great agitation, and at the same time flapping nervously with her new wings. Save me! Someone! Save me! Why don't you save yourself? asked a man below. Stop flying if you want to reach the earth again. This struck old Rivette as a sensible suggestion. She was quite a distance in the air by this time, but she tried to hold her wings steady and not flap them, and the result was she began to float slowly downward. Then, with horror, she saw she was sinking directly upon the branches of a prickly pear tree. So she screamed and began flying again, and the swift movement of her wings sent her high into the air. So great was her terror that she nearly fainted, but she shut her eyes so she might not see how high up she was, and held her wings rigid, and began gracefully to float downward again. By and by she opened her eyes and found one of her sleeves was just missing the sharp point of a lightning rod on a tower of the palace. So she began struggling and flopping anew, and, almost before she knew it, Aunt Rivette had descended to the roof of the royal stables. Here she sat down and began to weep and wail, while a great crowd gathered below and watched her. "'Get a ladder, please, get a ladder!' begged the old Rivette. "'If you don't, I shall fall and break my neck!' By this time Bud and Fluff had come to see what caused the excitement, and to their amazement they found their old aunt perched high up on the stable roof, with two great wings growing from her back. For a moment they could not understand what had happened. Then Margaret cried, Oh, Bud, I let her wear the magic cloak. She must have made a wish. Help! Help! Get a ladder! wailed the old woman, catching sight of her nephew and niece. Well, you are a bird, Aunt Rivette, shouted Bud gleefully, for he was in a teasing mood. You don't need a ladder. I don't see why you can't fly down the same way you flew up. And all the people shouted, Yes, yes, the king is right. Fly down yourself. Just then, Rivette's feet began to slip on the sloping roof. So she made a wild struggle to save herself, and the result was that she fluttered her wings in just exactly the right way to sink down gradually to the ground. "'You'll be all right as soon as you know how to use your wings,' said Bud with a laugh. "'But where did you get them, anyway?' "'I don't know,' said Aunt Rivette, much relieved to be on the earth again, and rather pleased to have attracted so much attention. 
Are my wings pretty? Oh, they are perfectly lovely! cried Fluff, clapping her hands in glee. Why, Aunt Rivette, I do believe you must be the only person in all the world who can fly. But I think you look like an overgrown buzzard, said Bud to himself. Now it happened that all this praise and the wondering looks of the people did a great deal to reconcile Rivette to her new wings. Indeed, she began to feel a certain pride and distinction in them, and finding she had, through all the excitement, retained her grasp on the purse of gold, she now wrapped the magic cloak around her and walked away to the shops, followed by a crowd of men, women, and children. Chapter 8 The Royal Reception As for the king and Princess Fluff, they returned to the palace and dressed themselves in some of their prettiest garments, telling Jicky to have two ponies saddled and ready for them to ride upon. "'We really must have some toys,' said Meg with decision. "'And now that we are rich, there's no reason why we can't buy what we want.' "'That's true,' answered Bud. "'The old king hadn't anything to play with. Poor old man! I wonder what he did to amuse himself.' They mounted their ponies, and followed by the chief counsellor and the Lord High Purse-Bearer in one of the state carriages, and a guard of soldiers for escort, they rode down the streets of the city on a pleasure jaunt, amid the shouts of the loyal populace. By and by, Bud saw a toy shop in one of the streets, and he and Fluff slipped down from their ponies and went inside to examine the toys. It was a well-stocked shop, and there were rows upon rows of beautiful dolls on the shelves, which attracted Margaret's attention at once. "'Oh, Bud!' she exclaimed. "'I must have one of those dollies.' "'Take your choice,' said her brother calmly, although his own heart was beating with delight at the sight of all the toys arranged before him. "'I don't know which to choose,' sighed the little princess, looking from one doll to another with longing and indecision. "'We'll take them all,' declared Bard. "'All? What, all these rows of dollies?' she gasped. "'Why not?' asked the king. Then he turned to the men who kept the shop and said, "'Call in that old fellow who carries the money.' When the Lord High Purse-Bearer appeared, Bud said to him, "'Pay the man for all these dolls, and for this, and this, and this.' He began picking out the prettiest toys in all the shop, in the most reckless way you can possibly imagine. The soldiers loaded the carriage down with Meg's dolls, and a big cart was filled with Bud's toys. Then the purse-bearer paid the bill, although he sighed deeply several times while counting out the money. But the new king paid no attention to old Tilly-dib, and when the treasures were all secured, the children mounted their ponies and rode joyfully back to the palace, followed in a procession by the carriage filled with dolls and the cart loaded with toys, while Tully-dub and Tilly-dib, being unable to ride in the carriage, trotted along at the rear on foot. Bud had the toys and dolls all carried upstairs into a big room. Then he ordered everyone to keep out while he and Fluff arranged their playthings around the room and upon the tables and chairs, besides littering the floor so that they could hardly find a clear place large enough for some of their romping games. After all, he said to his sister, 
"'It's a good thing to be a king, or even a princess,' added Meg, busily dressing and arranging her dolls. They made Jicky bring their dinner to them in the playroom, as Bud called it, but neither of the children could spare much time to eat, their treasures being all so new and delightful. Soon after dusk, while Jicky was lighting the candles, the chief counsellor came to the door to say that the king must be ready to attend the royal reception in five minutes. "'I won't,' said Bud. "'I just won't.' "'But you must, your majesty,' declared old Tullydub. "'Am I not the king?' demanded Bud, looking up from where he was arranging an army of wooden soldiers. "'Certainly, your majesty,' was the reply. "'And is not the king's will the law?' continued Bud. "'Certainly, your majesty.' "'Well, if that is so, just understand that I won't come. Go away and let me alone.' "'But the people expect your majesty to attend the royal reception,' protested old Tallydub, greatly astonished. "'It is the usual custom, you know, and they would be greatly disappointed if your majesty did not appear.' "'I don't care,' said Bud. "'You get out of here and let me alone.' "'But your majesty!' The king threw a toy cannon at his chief counsellor, and the old man ducked to escape it, and then quickly closed the door. Bud, said the princess softly, you were just saying it's great fun to be a king. So it is, he answered promptly. But father used to tell us, continued the girl, trying a red hat on a brown-haired doll, that people in this world always have to pay for any good thing they get. What do you mean? said Bud with surprise. I mean, if you're going to be the king and wear fine clothes and eat lovely dinners and live in a palace and have countless servants, and all the playthings you want, and your own way in everything, and with everybody, then you ought to be willing to pay for all these pleasures. But how can I pay for them? demanded Bud, staring at her. By attending the royal receptions, and doing all the disagreeable things that a king is expected to do, she answered. Bud thought about this for a minute. Then he got up and walked over to his sister and kissed her. "'I believe you're right, Fluff,' he said with a sigh. "'I'll go to the reception tonight, and take it as I would take a dose of medicine.' "'Of course you will,' returned Fluff, looking up at him brightly. "'And I'll go with you. The dolls can wait till tomorrow. Have Chicky brush your hair, and I'll get my maids to dress me.' Old Tullydub was wondering how he might best explain the king's absence to the throng of courtiers gathered to attend the royal reception, when, to his surprise and relief, his majesty entered the room, accompanied by the princess Fluff. The king wore a velvet suit, trimmed with gold lace, and at his side hung the beautiful jewelled sword. Meg was dressed in a soft white silken gown, and looked as sweet and fair as a lily. The courtiers and their ladies who were all wearing their most handsome and becoming apparel, received their little king with great respect, and several of the wealthiest and most noble among them came up to Bud to converse with him. But the king did not know what to say to these great personages, and so the royal reception began to be a very stupid affair. Fluff saw that all the people were standing in stiff rows, and looking at one another uneasily, so she went to Bud and whispered to him, 
The king inquired of Tellydeb, who stood near. Is there a band of musicians in the palace? Yes, your majesty. Send for them, then, commanded Bud. Presently the musicians appeared, and the king ordered them to play a waltz. But the chief counsellor rushed up and exclaimed, Oh, your majesty, this is against all the rules and customs. Silence, said Bud angrily. I'll make the rules and customs in this kingdom hereafter. We're going to have a dance. But it's so dreadful, so unconventional, your majesty. It's so, so, what shall I call it? Here, I've had enough of this, declared Bud. You go and stand in that corner with your face to the wall till I tell you to sit down, he added, remembering a time when his father, the ferryman, had inflicted a like punishment upon him. Somewhat to his embarrassment and surprise, Tullydub at once obeyed the command, and then Bud made his first speech to the people. "'We are going to have a dance,' he said. "'So pitch in and have a good time. If there's anything you want, ask for it. You're all welcome to stay as long as you please, and go home when you get ready.' This seemed to please the company, for everyone applauded the king's speech. Then the musicians began to play— and the people were soon dancing and enjoying themselves greatly. Princess Fluff had a good many partners that evening, but Bud did not care to dance. He preferred to look on, and after a time he brought old Tullydub out of his corner and made the chief counsellor promise to be good and not annoy him again. "'But it is my duty to counsel the king,' protested the old man solemnly. "'When I want your advice, I'll ask for it.' said Bud. While Tullydub stood beside the throne, looking somewhat sulky and disagreeable, the door opened, and Aunt Rivette entered the reception room. She was clothed in a handsome gown of bright green velvet, trimmed with red and yellow flowers, and the wings stuck out from the folds at her back in a way that was truly wonderful. Aunt Rivette seemed to be in an amiable mood, she smiled and curtsied to all the people who stopped dancing to stare at her, and she even fluttered her wings once or twice to show that she was proud of being unlike all the others present. Bud had to laugh at her. She looked so funny. And then a mischievous thought came to him, and he commanded old Tullydub to dance with her. "'But I don't dance, your majesty!' exclaimed the horrified chief counsellor. "'Try it!' "'I'm sure you can dance,' returned Bud. "'If you don't know how, it's time you learned.' So the poor man was forced to place his arm about Aunt Rivette's waist and to whirl her around in a waltz. The old woman knew as little about dancing as did Tullydub, and they were exceedingly awkward, bumping into each other whenever they came near. Presently Aunt Rivette's feet slipped, and she would have tumbled upon the floor with the chief counsellor had she not begun to flutter her wings wildly. So instead of falling, she rose gradually into the air, carrying Tullydub with her, for they clung to each other in terror, and one screamed, Murder! and the other one, Help! in their loudest voices. Bud laughed until tears stood in his eyes. But Aunt Rivette, after bumping both her own head and that of the chief counsellor against the ceiling several times, finally managed to control the action of her wings, and to descend to the floor again. 
As soon as he was released, old Tallydub fled from the room, and Aunt Rivette, vowing she would dance no more, seated herself beside Bud, and watched the revel until nearly midnight, when the courtiers and their ladies dispersed to their own homes, declaring that they had never enjoyed a more delightful evening. Chapter 9 Jicky Has a Wish Granted The next morning, Aunt Rivette summoned Jicky to her room and said, Take these shoes, clean and polish them, and carry down this tray of breakfast dishes, and send this hat to the milliner to have the feathers curled, and return this cloak to Princess Fluff with my compliments, and say I'm much obliged for the loan of it. Poor Jicky hardly knew how to manage so many orders. He took the shoes in his left hand, and the tray of dishes he balanced upon the other upraised palm. But the hat and the cloak were too many for him, so Aunt Rivette, calling him a stupid idiot, probably because he had no more hands, set the plumed hat about Jicky's head, and spread the cloak over his shoulders, and ordered him to make haste away. Jicky was glad enough to go, for the fluttering of Aunt Rivette's wings made him nervous, but he had to descend the stairs cautiously, for the hat was tipped nearly over his eyes, and if he stumbled he would surely spill the tray of dishes. He reached the first landing of the broad stairs in safety, but at the second landing the hat joggled forward so that he could see nothing at all, and one of the shoes dropped from his hand. "'Dear me,' sighed the old man, "'I wonder what I shall do now. If I pick up the shoe, I shall drop the dishes, and I can't set down this tray because I'm blinded by this terrible hat. Dear, dear me!' If I'm to be at the beck and call of that old woman, and serve the new king at the same time, I shall have my hands full. My hands are full now, in fact. I really wish I had a half-dozen servants to wait on me. Jicky knew nothing at all about the magic power of the cloak that fell from his shoulders, so his astonishment was profound when someone seized the shoe from his left hand, someone else removed the tray from his right hand, and still another person snatched the plume hat from his head. But then he saw bowing and smirking before him six young men who looked as much alike as peas in the same pod, and all of whom wore very neat and handsome liveries of wine colour with silver buttons on their coats. Jicky blinked and stared at these people, and rubbed his eyes to make sure he was awake. "'Who are you?' he managed to ask. "'We are your half-dozen servants, sir.' "'answered the young men, speaking all together and bowing again. "'Jicky gasped and raised his hands with sudden amazement "'as he gazed in wonder upon the row of six smart servants. "'What are you doing here?' he stammered. "'We are here to wait upon you, sir, as is our duty,' they answered respectfully. "'Jicky rubbed his left ear, as was his custom when he was perplexed, "'and then he thought it all over.' "'and the more he thought, the more perplexed he became. "'I don't understand,' he finally said in a weak voice. "'You wished for us, and here we are,' declared the six, "'once more bowing low before him. "'Ah, no,' said Jicky. "'But I've often wished for many other things, "'and never got a single one of the wishes before.' "'The young men did not attempt to explain this curious phenomenon.' 
They stood in a straight row before their master, as if awaiting his orders. One held the shoe, Jicky had dropped, another its mate, still another the plumed hat, and a fourth the tray of dishes. You see, Jicky remarked, shaking his head sadly at the six, I'm only a servant myself. You, you are our, our master, master, sir, announced the young men, their voices blending into one. I wish you were all back where you came from. And then he paused to see if this wish also could be fulfilled. But no, the magic cloak conferred the fulfillment of but one wish upon its wearer, and the half-dozen servants remained standing rigidly before him. Jicky arose with a sigh. "'Come downstairs to my private room. We'll talk this matter over.' So they descended the grand staircase to the main hall of the grand palace, Jicky going first, and his servants following at a respectful distance. Just off the hall, Jicky had a pleasant room, where he could sit when not employed, and into this he led the six. After all, he considered, it would not be a bad thing to have a half-dozen servants— they would save his old legs from many a tiresome errand. But just as they reached the hall, a new thought struck him, and he turned suddenly upon his followers. "'See here!' he exclaimed. "'How much wages do you fellows expect?' "'We expect no wages at all, sir,' they answered. "'What? Nothing at all?' Jicky was so startled he scarcely had the strength remaining to stagger into his private room and sink into a chair. "'No wages! Six servants and no wages!' he muttered. "'It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's astounding!' Then he thought to himself, "'I'll try and see if they'll really work!' And aloud he asked, "'How can I tear you apart from one another?' Each servant raised his right arm and pointed to a silver badge upon his left breast. Then Chicky discovered they were all numbered from one up to six. "'Ah, very good. Now, number six, take this shoe into the boot-room and clean it and polish it,' said Jicky. Number six bowed and glided from the room as swiftly and silently as if he were obeying a command of the King of Noland. "'Number five, take this tray to the kitchen.' Number five obeyed instantly, and Jicky chuckled with delight. "'Number two, take this to the milliner on Royal Street. Have the feathers curled.' Number two bowed and departed almost before the words had left Jicky's mouth, and then the king's valet regarded the remaining three in some perplexity. Half a dozen servants is almost too many, he thought. It will keep me busy, to keep them busy. I should have wished for only one or two at most. Just then he remembered something. Number four, go after number two and tell the milliner that the hat belongs to Madame Rivette, the king's aunt and a few moments later the two remaining servants, standing upright before him, had begun to make him nervous. And Jicky cried out, Number three, take this shoe down, the other shoe down, to the boat room, to tell number six to clean it and, and polish it also. This left but one of the six unoccupied, and Jicky was wondering what to do with him when a bell rang. That's the king's bell, said Jicky. "'I am not the king's servant. I am here only to wait upon you,' said number one, without moving to answer the bell. "'Then I must go myself,' sighed the valet. 
and he rushed away to obey the king's summons. Scarcely had he disappeared when Tollydob, the Lord High General, entered the room and said in a gruff voice, Where is Jiki? Where is that rascal Jiki? Number one, standing stiffly at the end of the room, made no reply. Answer me, you scoundrel! roared the old general. Where is Jiki? Still, number one stood silent. This so enraged old Tollydob that he raised his cane and aimed a furious blow at the young man. The cane seemed to pass directly through the fellow, and it struck the wall behind him so forcibly that it split into two parts. This amazed Tollydob. He stared a moment at the silent servant, and then turned his back upon him and sat down in Jicky's chair. Here his eyes fell upon the magic cloak which the king's valet had thrown down. Tollydob, attracted by the gorgeous colouring and soft texture of the garment, picked up the cloak and threw it over his shoulders. Then he walked to the mirror and began admiring his reflection. While thus engaged, Jicky returned, and the valet was so startled at seeing the Lord High General, he never noticed the cloak at all. "'His Majesty has asked to see your highness,' said Jicky, "'and I was about to go in search of you.' "'I'll go to the king at once,' answered Tollydob. And as he walked away, Jicky suddenly noticed that he was wearing the cloak. "'Oh, no!' thought the valet. "'He has gone off with the Princess Fluff's pretty cloak. "'But when he returns from the king's chamber, I'll get it again, "'and send number one to carry it to its rightful owner.'